Hello, you're listening to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells. Today in the studio, I have Betty Wells. Hello. And on the phone, we have Becky Sibbett, and she is from Washington. And uh, I met her, I don't know, probably two years ago, or was it a year ago? I don't remember now, but Chad and I went out and saw Becky and her husband, Bill, and we had a great time together. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and uh, Becky was gracious enough to speak at our last women's retreat, but I've actually known Becky for many years, and we had some good emails going when she was going through some of her family trials that she's going to be talking about today. Uh, It's worse than trials, it's loss, but uh, Becky has as we all have to, learned so much from the hand of the Lord the hard way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just very eager for her to share what she has for us today. So, Becky, um, could you tell us just a little bit about your family? Sure. So God gave my husband, Bill, and I six children. We wanted a large family, and since I'm from a family that includes internationally adopted children, we plan to adopt some of our children. So here's how it went starting 39 years ago. Lisa was born to us in 1980. Then two and a half years later, we adopted Stephen as a baby in 1982 from Korea. Then we adopted 14-year-old Peter from the same orphanage six months later. Our daughter Jeannie was born to us in 1985, and Donald was born to us in 1987. And then seven years later in 1995, we adopted 14-year-old Beth. So three boys and three girls, three of them adopted and three not. And Bill and I really loved those years when our family was growing and there was a lot of activity and love and joy. There were many changes and adjustments for Bill and for me, and God worked in our lives constantly, strengthening our faith throughout those years and teaching us to abide in him because God knew what was coming and what we would need in 2003 when we would lose Donald when he was only 16 and less than four years later in 2007 when we would lose Stephen, who was 26, both to suicide. Stephen was adopted. He was five months old, and Donald was born to us five years later. They didn't share any DNA, but they really had a lot in common. Both loved to follow their dad around when they were little. They were both extremely social and had lots of friends. They were thoughtful, sensitive, and a lot of fun to be with. But much changed when they became teenagers. Both Stephen and Donald began to show signs of severe anxiety and depression when they reached age 14, which is such an odd coincidence. But I found out since then that if a person is susceptible to those conditions, adolescence is a common time for anxiety and depression to show up. Stephen's genetics were unknown. Since it was a closed international adoption with no information about his birth parents, except that his dad was in the U.S. military. Stephen had a lot of anxiety and hated to be alone when he was little, but he seemed to outgrow it until it hit him hard again at age 14. There has been depression and bipolar illness on my side of the family, and Donald was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when he was in middle school. We took him in for treatment, but the medication seemed to make it worse. The similarity that we hated the most and that we fought as hard as we could was that both boys preferred self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, to counseling and prescribed treatment. Both times it was a long, hard, complicated struggle. Treatment and counseling really helped Stephen for a while, but after Donald died, 
Stephen's anxiety and depression became severe and complicated his intense grief over the loss of his little brother. We lost the battle, and they died of suicide less than four years apart. Mm. Becky, I know that anyone who's listening to this um, just feels so sorry that you had to go through suicide twice among your children, and that's really a hard road. But can you talk a little bit about what kind of impact suicide has on a family? I know it's unique. It does. It's it it has a huge impact and it carries its own unique kind of pain. I really feel for anyone who has experienced the suicide of someone they love because the trauma is overwhelming and it's especially intense for those who discovered the suicide, which I didn't have to, I'm so grateful for. And because that's a really hard memory to live with. Almost always suicide leaves close family and friends feeling regret and guilt. In some cases, it's just so baffling. Life seemed to be going well, and there were no clues. There are many urgent, unanswered questions, and the only one with all the answers is gone. A parent who had also lost a son to suicide reminded me that suicide is irrational. And he said it's even more irrational to think that you could use reason to figure out why this irrational event happened. And unless considering suicide is open about it, It's not easy to predict it or prevent it. But still, the mind and emotions do try to figure out why it happened because we so desperately long for a different outcome. After the numbness of early grief wore off and the reality of what had happened sank in, I was surprised and shocked at the intensity of the pain that our family experienced. We were not rising above anything, not ready to mount up with wings as eagles or run and not be weary, I had never felt so needy and dependent on God. Even easy things became hard. God gave me strength to get out of bed each morning. Hundreds of times, God gave me strength to take the next step, to do the next little thing. I worked full time as long as I could. After several months, I knew I was expecting too much of myself. Our wise counselor told me to give myself time to grieve, so I worked part time the rest of the school year. And if I was asked to do something that felt impossible, I remember saying no. Ask me again in two years. That was really wise to be able to do that and set those boundaries because you do need to be good to yourself when you're grieving. But you mentioned feeling guilt after Donald's death. And even though you realized you didn't have the knowledge or power to keep him alive, how do you feel that guilt affected your grief? It really complicated my grief for 18 months at least. I blame myself for not knowing and for not being there to help. I think guilt may have been the reason that God's love became suddenly really indispensable to me. Two mornings after Donald's suicide, I woke up crying about his death and the fact that I wasn't aware of the intensity of the pain in his life that led to his suicide. I told God, I just need to know that you love me. And I don't remember ever before being uncertain that God loved me, but I was no longer the person I used to think I was. I was now the mom of a 16-year-old who chose to end his life. Suddenly, knowing that God loved me was my biggest need. There is a book that my book group read, On My Worst Day by John Lynch, that spotlights God's unconditional love. During a particularly dark period of the author's life, he writes this response from God. God says to him, don't be afraid. You are not losing your mind. 
You are not losing your life. You are gaining it. I'm holding you together. This is what love ultimately longs to do, to be allowed to hold another together on this earth. I required a lot of holding together, and God was there. A year after spreading Donald's ashes, I wrote this. It is Thanksgiving. The shadow of death has not diminished, yet I am very thankful for many things. This odd thought occurred to me on my beach walk this morning. I'm grateful that God does not consider me spiritually dysfunctional just because I'm high maintenance. I have a 24-hour need for his presence, his company, his comfort, understanding, and support. Rather than being disgusted or drained by my need for him, I believe he is pleased. It was his idea that I depend on him and find the source of my life and peace in fellowship with him. He generously gives of himself to me. Psalm 73:23 says, Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast held me by my right hand. God's holding on to me. I can't suffocate God. He never needs to take a break. No, and what it seems to me is that all of the losses in all of we believers' lives that we've had to go through, the whole point is that God wants to be intimate with us and have that relationship with us. So it's not like you you or anyone else is dysfunctional when you are that deeply dependent on the Lord. It really is how it should be. And I love the way one woman told us that her problem child was the biggest blessing in her life because she wouldn't have known God in that way if it hadn't been for him always driving her to her knees. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, you're that way too. Uh, You wouldn't know the Lord in this way if you hadn't been so deeply dependent on him. But the fact is that no two losses are the same. So how was it different after Stephen's death for you, do you think? I think grief was different after Stephen died. I was stunned and and numb for an even longer time. I cried less, having worked through a lot of suicide-related trauma the first time. But I still grieved, and I found grief to be exhausting. I needed to sit and rest or lie on my bed and watch the goldfinches around the bird feeder or take some time to plant flowers out on the deck. I wrote this in my journal four months after Stephen died. My experience of grief is different this time. Most days it is less intense. I'm not on trial in my own court. The verdict I arrived at after many months of deliberation when Donald died was that both God and I were guilty of not keeping him alive. But in God's case, it was not a lack of knowledge or power that kept him from stepping in. And in neither case, mine or God's, was it a lack of love or concern for his well-being. When Stephen died, there was no need for a trial. The facts were already established. I had come to this conclusion. I don't hold the world together. And the loving wisdom of the one who does can be trusted. And I've found many times since then new situations where I must trust God's wisdom and his timing and his eternal purposes. You know, amen to that. Because God's sovereignty, once we establish and settle it, that God is sovereign, It sets us free from so much and from taking responsibility where we didn't need to take it. So, Becky, uh, I know that grief is tough on everybody. How do you feel that God helped you through the emotions of grief? Well, my best therapy by far then and even now is prayer. Mm 
out loud whenever possible. I would start out talking to God about all of the things I couldn't do, all the feelings and thoughts I couldn't handle, just pouring out my neediness. And after a while, I would remember, I'm speaking to the one who already knows how weak I am, the one who is my strength. And then my perspective would change. I think this is why many of the Psalms that begin with cries of agony end with trust and praise. The Holy Spirit is right there, transforming our minds as we pray. Through prayer, I was able to believe that God knows and understands. And through prayer, I came to know God better as he kept me company. Mike Wells wrote an article on suicide that helped me understand the emotions of grief. Talking about suicide, he wrote, What is the response to be of those that are left behind? First, remember that the believer can have two different emotions at the same time. However, these emotions are not to run on the same track. We are to mourn and have joy at the same time, just as two trains can pass if they're on different tracks. Mike wrote, I have had friends commit suicide. I had known them for years, and we had worked through many issues. They were believers and yet could never rise above the oppression. Though some will react to what I am about to say, I am joyful that those friends are with Jesus. On the other hand, I am vexed and mourned, vexed because they did not have the revelation of life, and mourning because they are missed and were much more a blessing than they ever saw. Both emotions run together. For those of you that have lost a loved one, you will have both emotions. And I have found Mike's words about having two emotions at once to be really helpful and true. The only thing as intense as my longing for Stephen and Donald and my pain about their death was the intensity of the knowledge of the unfailing, continuous love of Jesus. A few months after Donald's death, I woke up in the middle of the night, hurt and confused, and I started asking Jesus to come, live his life in me, to be my light. And then I knew he answered, you thought I left? You thought I would leave you in the night? And I felt the grief and longing intensely, but I knew the warmth of God's presence in an equal amount. He matched it somehow, pound for pound. I experienced the weight of both simultaneously, my emotions running on two tracks. So in Psalm 94, 19, the psalmist says it this way. My, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations delight my soul. I had grief and anxious thoughts on one track, and the consolation of many spiritual blessings on the other. And that is just such an important thing for you to share, that God was just so with you. And I know that from grieving, too, that God is just so with us that it is a consolation. I appreciate that so much. But on the other hand, you had a lot of children to look after at the kindergarten at work, and hurting family members in their own right at home, How did your grief impact your ability to relate to the others? It was really hard. I think it was the hardest thing. Um, I was very dependent on Christ's life in me in order to pay attention to people around me and care about them. Andrew Murray wrote this, Our first work every day is to afresh exercise faith in Jesus as our life, to believe that he dwells in us and will do all for us and in us. And grief gave me a new appreciation of the one that does all for us and in us. I wrote this a year after Donald died. You have given me Jesus to abide in me. I take this gift within me wherever I go. Your abiding life to do all that is required of me. You're the teacher, the mother, the wife and daughter that the people around me need. 
I thank you that today I abide in you and you in me. Without you, I can do nothing. Today, with your life in me, I love, teach, speak to others, and take joy in those around me. I would often ask God to give me, please, the strength I need for a very specific task. I always prayed for my students on the way to work so that they would get noticed and be loved and cared for. And I would pray on my way home that I could love and care for all the people in the house. I asked for courage to attend the graduation of one of Donald's friends. And I did not want to do any of those hard kinds of people things, but God would always supply what I needed for that. We were really um, fortunate that our family is close, and I, I was grateful to have family around to laugh and cry with. We were like a little support group for each other because we all felt the same pain really deeply. But Bill and I grieved differently. I'm not comfortable with strong emotions, including my own. Bill talks openly about his pain and heartache with friends and neighbors and customers and coworkers, and he really benefits from those conversations. But I'd rather talk to God about my pain and my grief. Yes, we certainly are different in those kinds of ways, definitely. Um, I was wondering if you had doubts about God, if if that was part of your grief process, uh, because he didn't prevent your son's deaths. I know anger at God is a stage of grief, and I just wondered if you had some of those doubts. I didn't really ask, why did God allow this to happen? Because I was so busy asking myself why I allowed this to happen. And Mike Wells' teaching really helped me when I was ready to let it sink in that I'm not God. I didn't have the power to prevent these deaths. God allowed what he could have prevented. I used to pray for Stephen and Donald that they wouldn't harm themselves or others. And I can't say God answered that prayer the way I hoped he would. After the first loss, I did a lot of thinking and reading about the character of God that he's holy, just, compassionate, merciful, and in control. And my faith in God's wisdom and timing and eternal purposes was strengthened. But that all took a lot of time. And I want to share something that my daughter wrote. Um, she wrote this about a conversation with a college instructor named Judy a year and a half after Donald died. Jeannie wrote, I felt like God was so far away when my brother needed him. One day after class, Judy sat with me and told me the story of a time when she had cried out to God and asked him where he was while we suffered. She said she saw a clear picture in her mind of Jesus on the cross, arms outstretched, saying, I was here. Jimmy wrote, my faith shifted that day to incorporate a God who's doing his deepest work when we are in our darkest moments. Mm. Yes. I I do too. Uh, Life out of death, life out of death, his universal principle. But are there particular spiritual truths that you found especially helpful during your grief? Well, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross became more meaningful and personal for me too, as I struggled with guilt and I accepted forgiveness. And and I gained a lot of appreciation of the gospel as I considered what it must mean to Donald and Stephen now, having been reconciled to God through Christ's death on the cross in order to be presented before God holy, blameless, and without reproach. I love the gospel. I kept returning to the cross where God demonstrated his holiness, his goodness, his resurrection power, and his amazing love for the whole hurting world 
the cross is where he revealed his rescue plan. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But after John was put in prison, he didn't know quite what to think. John sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one the world had waited for, or should we look for someone else? And that's a question for me when I'm deeply disappointed by life. Is Jesus what I really what I need, or should I look for something else? Jesus told John's disciples to go tell him that the lame walk and the blind see, and blessed are those who don't stumble over me, which showed that Jesus understood how perplexed John was. I think he was saying to John, I know it doesn't look good from where you sit, but will you trust me? I know he asked me that too. And then he's the one that provides the faith so I can trust him. Life can threaten to crush us. We can feel despair, and it may feel like God doesn't know or care. Life as it was is destroyed. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 that he and Timothy were afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, and they truly were. He's reporting the common conditions the early church faced. Paul had previously been one of the persecutors and afflictors. He was now suffering for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Paul and most of the apostles would die martyrs' deaths because of their faith. But while they suffered greatly, they were not spiritually defeated. Even in death, they were not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. I don't want to miss what Paul's saying here, because the grief can feel crushing. I did experience despair, and I did feel at times like I was abandoned by the world that went on like nothing had happened. Mm. But nevertheless, That's the first word of a wonderful paragraph in Psalm 73 that applies to every hard thing I've ever been through. I might say to myself, okay, so everything has gone wrong. I couldn't be sadder or weaker, but nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast held me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is no one on earth I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I was thinking the grace of God toward grieving Christians, it's it's experienced all over the world. It's been going on since the beginning of time. It's what we all have in common. This is just what God does for the brokenhearted. He comforts us. He strengthens our faith. He sustains us with his love. And when we're grieving, we don't always sense his love that God longs to be gracious to us and waits to show compassion to us. I pray for those that are grieving, I often pray for them, that they can know the love of God that passes all understanding. And I'm so grateful that he knows each of us intimately and he personalizes his interactions with us according to who we are and according to what we personally need. Yes, and there we're right back to that issue of how individual we all are and I really can't wait to get to heaven to find out just how we're all unique. (laughs) As many of us as there are, just we are unique. He gives us a unique set of circumstances, and we all meet different people in life. We're just different, and I love that he knows just how to meet us and where to meet us, and it is so important, uh, the intimacy with him that changes everything and the dependence that we can have on him. Becky, it was just wonderful 
hearing your story and the way you give God the glory for getting you through it. Absolutely. So I really want to thank you for being here today with us and uh, thank you for encouraging others with the story that you have. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And I just had a question for you. I was just curious. Mm -hmm. How did uh, the rest of you, because you have, you said you had six children, is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. How did the rest of them handle the suicides? So everybody, yeah, everybody differently. Um, They are all all doing their best, and um, God is gracious to each one of them, and in whatever they can receive. So I, and I, I trust him with, with each one of them that he's in timing and in his wisdom, providing them for everything they need. He's heard all those prayers. Amen. For, yeah. Yeah. And he knows what each and every one of us needs. So it yeah. is very personable. Yeah. And then I just had one more question. Did you, When the suicides happened, did you ever completely stop talking to God, or were you just constant, just, I need you, God, I need everything about you, or were you ever to that point where you just said, no, I'm done for a little bit? You know, that that happened to me when my brother died, when I was like 14, Okay, and by the time I... 15 or 16, I was no longer talking to God. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but that, that level of faith that I had back then couldn't, couldn't, um, imagine, a loving, caring God taking our family into, um, into that kind of grief and circumstances. And, um, so that's, that's when I experienced, like, I, I can't even, but, but God brought me back. He, he opened up my heart later mm. on that I could receive from him again. And so it was so gracious to do that because I have no, I, I just don't believe I could have made it through um, mm. with Donald, with Donald and Stephen both um, by the, after Stephen's death, it was like being hit by a two by four all over again. And I just was, very needy and dependent on God and was not and sometimes not able to pray because I my head was cloudy and my heart was mm-hmm. I, I just felt just a lot of emptiness but um I would just keep crying out to God because what else you know not there is nothing else that could do anything for me no where else can we go absolutely right I like how you were, ended up with us when you were talking about how people can lose everything and life just completely unravels, I know we always tell the Lord that if we have absolutely nothing else, still will we praise him forever. And then then to experience it with your life just goes completely plowed under and yeah. you're losing everything that you held dear and all that, it's such a testimony of the graciousness and the love of the Lord and how patient he is with us that he does give us the freedom to grieve. He does bring us back eventually. It's, mm-hmm. it's the way he is the way. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. And, uh, the people for, for me listening to it and, 
people who are going to be listening to the podcast. Would there be any prayer requests that you would want people to pray for? Um, you know, I just I just have lots of praise now. It's I I have so so much praise. I I main my main prayer requests these days are I have awareness of other people's losses and praying for a, a woman at our church whose husband died of suicide a few months ago and mm-hmm. just um, wanting God to um, break through all the the grief and sadness and, and give lots of um, faith and understanding to that woman. And those are, you know, those are my, some of my main requests are for, there's so many people that have, still have to go through these things that God has carried us through. Yeah. Yes, and you're in that spot that this scripture talks about. I think it's Corinthians where you are able to comfort with the comfort comfort with which you were comforted at the time. Uh, part of the reason we do go through such terrible losses is for others, and the Lord is able to speak confidently of his great comfort and his being with us to others, through us to others. So, mm-hmm. so that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful for the people that did that for me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you for listening to Abiding Life Studios. Goodbye. <laughs>